Aunt Megan, she came in this morning and the band sent her home. She was very, very sick. So we're scrambling a little bit today, but thank you for participating in worship and helping us out. We pray that she gets better in an hour. <laughs> before, the, before the 11 o'clock service. I know what she did. She's getting ready to ask for a raise and she's going to get it. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Uh-oh. <laughs> if there's any human resource people here, I'm sorry ahead of time for that one. Um, my name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teacher here in the garden and backup singer. And uh, we're going to continue this uh, series we've been doing over the last several months called Move Over. It's a lectionary series based in the gospel of, of Mark. And today's message is called Appraisal of resurrection power. And this is another one of those times where this is a story that is in more than one gospel. And what I did today, as I've done in the past, is I've made a synopsis of this story. I took the account in Mark chapter 4, uh, Mark chapter 14, and I took the account in John chapter 12, and I put them together. Oh, by the way, before I start that, I, I do have to make one more announcement I forgot about. Um, this Sunday and next Sunday, you ever watch like your favorite series on television? And they have like a season finale and it's like a cliffhanger and you got to wait for nine months for it to come back on again. Um, well, that's what's going on with our 11 o'clock service. This week and next week will be the last two weeks we have our 11 o'clock garden service for a while until it's needed again. So I just wanted to give you guys a heads up. If some of you I know have come to both at different times, Easter Sunday will be the last one for now. It's going into onto a temporary hiatus after Easter. So just wanted to give you that heads up. So anyway, back to the scripture today. I've taken a synopsis of Mark chapter 14 and John 12, and I've weaven them, woven, put them together. Uh, I'm a little flustered this morning into one passage, and I'm going to read that for you now. It's a little bit long, so the verses are on three different slides, but it's important for you to get the story. So let's just dive right in, shall we? Um, verse one of our synopsis. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Think about that for a minute. Don't let that escape your mind. This is very important to the story. Lazarus had been resurrected before. They've gone back to the scene of the miracle. So they, they gave a dinner for him there. And Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Can you imagine the scene? Like what a victorious dinner this must have been for that family. This Lazarus who had been dead for a couple of days and the scripture said he had already, his body had already started to decompose and Christ comes and resurrects him and now Jesus is back. It's the last week of his physical life on earth and one of the things he does is he visits this family of the resurrected Lazarus and he's sitting right there at the table with Jesus. Mary then took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard with an alabaster flask. Doesn't that sound beautiful? And anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And then she broke the flask and poured the rest over his head. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume from this oil. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, look what Judas says. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And so Judas scolded Mary. Jesus says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. 
you will always have the poor with you, Judas. Whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body before my burial. And truly I say to you, whenever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he has raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. So they wanted to kill Jesus and Lazarus, and you can probably understand why. But because, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. But of course they couldn't put him to death, the scripture says, because it was the time of feast. And if they'd have put Jesus and Lazarus to death, especially with the following he had, with the Palm Sunday situation, you know, it's kind of popular, kind of crowded, you know, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, all that stuff. Everybody likes Jesus right now. It's kind of like, you know, his most popular moment in his life, right before they kill him. So they couldn't put Lazarus and Jesus to death right then and there because it would have been a big uproar. So like we like to do in the garden, we feel like we have to look at Scripture in three different applications. You have to understand the history of what's going on. What about man? What did he do? Why did he do it? Then you have to understand the theology. What about God? And what did God do? And why and how did God do it? And then and only then can you really take a verse or a passage and apply it to your life. When you apply Scripture to your life without first understanding history and theology, it results in bad teaching, bad actions, bad motives. So let's look at the history. The historical part of this first, I want you to see there is a very emotional setting here. Clearly, now understand, Jesus has already said to them, listen, I'm going to die soon. And Peter rebuked him. Remember we preached on this a couple weeks ago. Peter said, Stop it, Jesus. Don't even talk that way. You're not going to die. You're too important to us. So clearly the 12 are struggling to conceive of a kingdom that would begin not with a miraculous military, military victory over Rome, but instead, instead of the death of their enemies, the death of their friend. They are still, in fact, most of them in denial about this reality. But you know what seems to me as I read this story and what Jesus says at the end after Judas says his thing is that Mary was in the process of accepting the reality of what was about to happen. In fact, she may have been the only one in the room that understood that Jesus was about to die. She may have been the first. Clearly it was something special. Clearly there was something unusual going on here since Jesus said her story would be told for centuries when people would speak of his death and whenever the gospel was preached. So that's the setting. Understand that. It is six days before Passover. The religious are plotting a way to kill Jesus and Lazarus, Lazarus to execute them. Because there's a resurrection, the scripture says, the resurrection of Lazarus had caused many people to follow Jesus. Well, of course it would. He has power over the grave. I want to hang out with this rabbi. But they can't do it. It would have been like killing a mall Santa right before Christmas. <laughs> the riots would have been unbelievable. So they can't do it during the feast time. People will be angry. 
So now that you have the mall Santa slaying in your mind, <laughs> sorry, Gee, I did, that was off the top of my head. Jesus returns to Lazarus's house. Now think about this. This is the place where Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave. He returns to the most amazing miracle of his ministry on earth before his own resurrection. And he is hosted by this incredibly great... Do you think this family of Lazarus was grateful? Do you think that there was this... Can you believe this? I never thought this would have happened a few months ago. We're sitting here in our house with Jesus and Lazarus who was dead. I mean, I just, I can't imagine the, the, the depths of their appreciation and their passion and their love for Jesus. And this Mary, the scripture teaches us, is actually the sister of Lazarus. This is Lazarus' sister. That was her brother. So you can see there's a very connected relationship here. And it's a very special evening that this house that honored and loved him the most this family dinner, imagine the emotions that she feels for this man that raised her brother from the dead. So that's an emotional setting. And then there's a lavish expression of love. And simply that expression is very simple. It's no words. It's not a big, long worship set. She just does one thing. She anoints him with spikenard oil, which is very, very expensive. A pound of it. So maybe about a pint. <clears throat> so before I go on, I think it's important for you to understand what spikenard oil was. And so I like to, I like to title this part of the sermon, Spikenard Oil Fun Facts. <laughs> okay? Fun facts. I'm just going to read to you what it is. Okay? Spikenard is an aromatic, an, an aromatic plant which grew in India. So it's a pretty long way. India is a long way from Jerusalem. And there is no FedEx. So to get spikenard oil from India to Jerusalem is not an easy thing. You can't overnight it. You can't download it. It's not an app. It's oil. The essential oil had to be extracted and then transported all the way to Judea before it found its way into the hands of Mary of Bethany, the sister of Lazarus. It was so expensive. What would it have been worth? About $25,000 in today's money is what this spikenard oil, this pound of oil would have been worth. It was usually stored in flasks or boxes made of alabaster so they would be airtight so air wouldn't get in and mess up the aroma and the perfume so it would stay fresh. And often it was used to anoint bodies right before burial or, or after their death. or you know, So it was used in funerals and ceremonial burials and things like that. But it was also used to anoint the bride on the evening of her marriage. But understand what this was. Probably most families had a little bit of this somewhere. Very small amounts. If you're really poor, you didn't have any. But it was a prized family heirloom, a prized family possession. A pint of this could have lasted generations. It was kept stored away only for the most special or most somber occasions. 
And when it was needed, only small quantities. Maybe you would take it and you would just like dip it on your thumb a little bit and you would anoint. Very small quantities would be taken. And as a matter of fact, that small quantity would be diluted with olive oil. So like, you know, maybe a half a teaspoon and then you'd put some olive oil in there to make it go further so you don't use all this expensive oil recklessly. So basically, Mary gave what was easily the most prized possession that her family had. A full year's wages gone in a moment. Keep in mind that their brother that Jesus had raised from the dead is sitting right there. Her brother is alive right there. She doesn't have time for anything else but to assess that Jesus is worth everything she has. I mean, perhaps Mary had used a small amount of this oil at her brother's burial. Most likely. But what she does here, she's so overwhelmed with passion and emotion and gratitude, she recklessly pours $25,000 worth of oil the whole contents of the container onto the feet and head of Jesus with no concern for any of its need in the future. I don't care if I need this oil in the future. I want to use it all right now on this guy who has resurrection power. Guys, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? So you can see if you had experienced the miracle that Mary had, you could see how you would probably say, I don't care what the most valuable possession is in my life. Jesus, you raised my brother or my sister or my wife or my child from the grave. You can have anything. I don't care. This is amazing. You have power over the grave. None of this other stuff even matters. But then you have something else in the historical part of this. You have oblivious self-righteousness. I want to talk about Judas. Judas is totally clueless about how this family must have felt. And his fake financial piousness is quite sickening, really. I mean, Judas does not have the ability, maybe he's sociopathic, I don't know. He doesn't have this ability to connect emotionally with the fact that Lazarus, who was dead, is sitting right there next to Jesus, who raised him. And this family so overcome with joy and excitement and unbelievable love that they got this blessing that all they want to do is take the most prized position they have and give it to Jesus because he has power over the grave. And he's totally oblivious to how they must be feeling. Kind of like me for you Gator fans. <laughs> and what happens here is Judas expresses this outrage over the waste of an asset that he says could be sold for a day's wages to feed the poor. Let me explain to you how ridiculous this is. It's worth 25000 He wants to sell it for a day's wages. That's 300 denarii. His outrage says we could sell this oil for a day's wages and feed the poor. What is your problem, Mary? Are you an idiot? At this point, understand, it can't be reversed. The oil's already spilled. And so I imagine Judas is saying, hey, Mary, please don't do that. No, 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 don't break the flask. No, no, don't pour it. She did it. It was already done. So he's probably like really angry. 
What are you doing, Mary? It wasn't like, oh, tsk, tsk, Mary. You could have sold that for a day's wages. Like, he's probably, like, yelling. I can't believe you would do that. That's 25000 We could have at least sold it for a day's le- What is your problem? Judas didn't care about the poor. He was using the poor as a way to get more money under his control since he was the treasurer. It's the oldest political trick in the book. Later, this very same guy would sell Jesus for about $1,000 because he loved money more than he loved Jesus. He loved money more than he loved resurrection. He loved money more than anything. So that's the history. Now let's look at the theology of this passage, shall we? Jesus knows their motives, and I love this part. See, first of all, Jesus knew the heart of Mary. He knew why Mary wanted to anoint his feet and his head with this heirloom oil, this beautiful prized possession. Jesus even said this was her way of dealing with the fact that he was going to die. He says, she's doing this for my funeral. Isn't that beautiful? Judas, you have no idea what you're talking about. But you know what else Jesus knew? He knew the heart of Judas. He knew the heart of why Judas wanted to sell the oil for money in the first place. And when Judas rebukes Mary, Jesus responds by saying, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? You won't always have me like this in this intimate setting. You won't always have my presence like this. The poor you'll always have with you. Remember now, his concern for the poor was fake. This isn't Jesus being callous toward the poor. This is Jesus saying, Judas, you really don't care about the poor. They've always been with you from the beginning, and they're always with you in the future. If you really cared, you'd have been doing stuff a long time before this oil was spilt. Does that make sense? Just want to make sure you understand that. It's not callousness to the poor. It's an indictment of a heart with impure motives. Then he says, don't hinder her, Judas, from something that will help her feel connected to me when I die. This is a very special moment for her. So I wanted to come up with a way to explain what Jesus was saying to Judas. So play this real quick. I wish you could just shut your big yapper. That's kind of what he was saying. All right? So that's kind of Judas Shut your yapper. So let's look at the devotional part of this, shall we? What about us? What are we supposed to do? How and why are we supposed to do it? Guys, I'm going to give you a quote from uh, one of my favorite preachers and authors in America. His name is John Piper. This story is about when the worth of Jesus and the love of his followers match. Did you hear that? This story is about when the worth of Jesus and the love of his followers match. When the value of his perfections and the intensity of our affections correspond. When the value of his perfections and the intensity of our affections correspond. Isn't that a great? I wish I could do that stuff. I can't write like that. That guy... Comparison 
is what John Piper is saying. And I want to look at a comparison for a devotional application. I want to look at a comparison. First of all, Judas. His love for Jesus and his love for money is greater than his love for intimacy with Jesus. He doesn't appraise resurrection power correctly. His fake concern for the poor and desire to sell that oil for 300 denarii. He's saying resurrection power is worth a day's wages. That's it. And a couple of meals for the poor. That's what resurrection power is worth, Mary. And you just overpaid dramatically for resurrection power. You bought a clunker of a car for way too much money, and now you have wasted your oil. He's ambivalent toward resurrection power. How can this be? Guys, it's not just some theory. Like we're in here and we understand that we have to accept the resurrection by faith because we weren't there, right? And we didn't see it. Lazarus is right there. He's right there reclining right next to Jesus. The evidence of the resurrection is undeniable and Judas is ambivalent toward it. He wasn't thinking about the death of Jesus, let alone the resurrection of Jesus, even though Lazarus is sitting right there. So now let's look at Mary. It's not working now, so maybe you can bring the mouse over. So I'll just go, Mary, her love for Jesus places the correct appraisal of resurrection power. It's a lavish love that takes her to intimacy with Jesus that we could only imagine. She has the correct understanding of just how amazing, just how powerful, just how valuable power over the grave is. And this this action of love, this lavish action of love, gives her a connection with Jesus that Jesus says people will be talking about for centuries. We're talking about it today. This was something that Judas could never or would ever experience. And he walked and talked with Jesus for three years. And Judas could never experience this connection to Jesus. You know why? Because he did not have the proper understanding of resurrection power and what it is worth to him. She is overwhelmed by resurrection power. She knew he had the power over the grave. In fact, she had seen it play out in Lazarus's life. I would love, this is speculation. This is not, this is speculation on my part, but I would love to speculate that she was thinking about this power Jesus had since he had already explained he was about to die. And I wonder if she was thinking, I wonder if he can resurrect himself. He said he's going to. He did it to my brother. I think he can do it. This guy, Jesus, is amazing. He's worth my most prized possession. What a great comparison of two people on the opposite ends of the appraisal of resurrection power, isn't it? One doesn't even care about it. He's not interested in it. It's worth a day's wages. The other one says it's worth the most 
precious thing I have. So, who do you think had the gift of faith? Faith is a gift. We've taught that many times in the garden. Who do you think had the gift of faith? Mary or Judas? And some questions for you. Do your affections, do our affections for Jesus prove that we understand the value of resurrection power? Does your affection line up with his value? Does your affection line up with believing that he is the resurrection and the life? Does your affection and intimacy lead to such lavish displays of love for Jesus that it lines up with just how valuable resurrection power is? I would like to think, and and I hope this is the case, I would like to think that if I had been in that room, (laughs) I would like to think that I would not have been able to take my eyes off Lazarus. I hope that I'd be sitting there at dinner in Lazarus' house, and all I could think of, this is surreal. This Jesus guy is here. He's sitting right next to the guy who was dead for like three days. I remember he smelled. He was decomposing. And Jesus raised him. I would hope that I would be so transfixed by the image of the resurrection in Lazarus that I would not have even noticed how much the oil was worth until Judas brought it up. I would hope that I'd be so, tra- I have ADD anyway, right? So I probably wouldn't have noticed, but I, would have, I, hope, I hope that I would have been so focused on the image of Lazarus sitting next to Jesus that when Mary broke the oil, I'd be thinking, well, of course. Oh, wait a minute, it's worth how much, Judas? Oh, well, that was expensive. I almost hope it would be an afterthought. What about you? Now look, I don't have the ability to judge your heart on this matter. I can only determine this in my own life. But I can give you some questions that you should ask yourself. Are there any Judas areas in your life? Things that you appraise higher in value than resurrection power? Things that could preoccupy you so much that you could look past resurrection power? Even if Lazarus was right there in the room, clearly Judas had some. And I think many of us have things that are Judases in our life that cause us to be distracted from resurrection power. If you had been there, what things might have distracted you from the powerful image of Lazarus? Is there anything that could have possibly distracted you from Lazarus? Understanding the value of Jesus starts with being overwhelmed by resurrection power. Understanding the value of Jesus starts with being overwhelmed by resurrection power. So overwhelmed that nothing this world has to offer could distract you. So we're going to end things a little differently today. I'm going to ask the band, just they're going to come up. And that last song that we were singing, Calvary, they're just going to play it. And the first thing I'd like you to do is start making a mental list in your mind. 
Are there Judas areas in my life that distract me from resurrection? Is it a car? Is it a job? Is it a person? Is it a politician? It could be anything. Is there anything that you are in your life appraising as more valuable than resurrection power? And if there is, ask yourself why. Why is this shiny thing, be it a relationship or a possession or whatever it is, why is this shiny thing so alluring that it makes me forget how valuable resurrection power is? So Heavenly Dad, I just ask that in our lives, 